Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Welcome to a special episode of Dog Save the People. Up until recent years, if someone was a victim of domestic violence but had a dog at home, they were not able to go to a shelter and bring their dog with them. This caused people to stay in their abusive situations, either temporarily or permanently. Luckily, a breakthrough program came along and changed that. People and Animals Living Safely, or POWs for short, is part of the Urban Resource Institute. Otherwise known as URI, it is one of the largest domestic violence shelters in the country and provides crucial services to other vulnerable groups too. With the PALS program, they opened the first pet-friendly domestic violence shelter in New York City. This is a special episode where we talk to two different guests. First up, we talked with the CEO of the Urban Resource Institute, Nathaniel Fields, about how the organization came to be, what it does, and why there was a need to start the PALS program. Later, we'll talk to Daniel Emery, who is the director of PALS. Hi, Nathaniel. So glad to have you on Dog Save the People. Can you tell me about the background of URI and how it got started? John, first of all, so exciting to be on Dog Save the People today. URI has just a wonderful history, Urban Resource Institute, that is. You know, we've been in the community for over 40 years. And when I say the community, we largely provide services in uh, the five boroughs, and we also extended our services to Westchester. But right from the beginning, we really took the position that we were going to work with our clients, understanding that they are experts on their own lives from this sort of client-centered perspective, and then partner with the community to really provide the valuable services. When you think about URI being the largest provider of domestic violence shelter services, not only in New York City, New York State, but in the country, it's just an amazing level of growth and our ability to achieve greater impact to victims of domestic violence. Before PALS, there had never been a domestic violence shelter in New York City that was pet-friendly and allowed dogs. Can you tell me a little bit about why this was so important to you and why you felt you needed to change that? New York City, while we have a comprehensive approach to ending domestic violence, when somebody's ready in need of shelter, they're ready in need of shelter. And if they have a pet, the shelters had to respond to being able to accept pets. And back in 2012, 2013, not one domestic violence shelter in New York City would allow a victim of domestic violence to bring their pets with them when seeking safety. You know, about 68% of households in the United States, about 82 plus million households have pets. And then when you think about domestic violence and its prevalence, we recognize that about 50% of, or more than 50% of murders that take place in the United States, they're a result of intimate partner violence. And so when you think about obstacles, we needed to reduce barriers. And one of the barriers that we had to reduce was really create safe spaces. So when someone was thinking about often a woman leaving an abusive relationship, that they would have somewhere to go. It's real deal stuff. John, I've done some background on you. So I know how much you love pets and how much you love dogs in particular and how they're part of your family. And so survivors of domestic violence feel the same way. I totally agree, and the thought of leaving them if I was in that situation would be crucial to my decision. Thankfully, we have the PALS program. How did you bring it into life? Uh, When we started to talk about this idea of co-living, where someone could bring their pet with them when seeking safety, government almost lost their minds. What do you mean? It's already complex. Uh, Providing services for children, for families, orders of protection, health services, and now you want to put pets into the equation? So we had to sort of bring them along through hard data. 
uh, through client stories to say, listen, we need to do this and the state needs to be our partner. Because the regulations, while they were silent, there were lots of concerns. So we had to show the efficacy, if you will, of bringing pets, particularly dogs, into domestic violence shelters. And the government said yes, but they said, hey, URI, pilot first. Let's see what happens. Set it up for uh, about a year. And if there are no sort of bully dogs, pit bulls chasing a two-year-old down the hall, uh, and uh, we might approve you. And that's what they were afraid of. They thought there were going to be unintended consequences of allergies and bites. And so initially, they didn't allow us to accept dogs, just other small animals. And we were diligent and partnered with the animal welfare community to really show that uh, we were committed to the service and it was going to be a good service. So we had to really think about just like a victim of domestic violence is leaving in a, a situation with the clothes on her back, so will the pets, right? So where's the food coming from? Where are the uh, toys coming from? How are we going to sort of look at the vet services for the pets? Pets are also impacted by trauma. How are we going to, we're going to do this credible work around trauma. How are we going to provide services for the pets? How are we going to accommodate our units to be pet friendly and create a culture where individuals can work with pets, particularly dogs, and do so in an appropriate way? So Palace is open to all pets, but dogs specifically, right? How have you seen them play a role in those who have come into the program? Oh, it's just amazing. It's so hard for the whole family, but in particular children, to leave their home, albeit abusive, it's still what they know as home. I don't care how nice the shelter is and their pets there to provide the unconditional love, but we also know there are other effects that uh, individuals, who, particularly who have been traumatized, receive in terms of healing from having their pets. The sense of well-being, uh, the neurotransmitters that are, are released from petting an, an animal the sense of some normalcy, the reduction of anxiety, and it promotes really the whole family staying together to heal. What you guys are providing is is just so beautiful. And I know that this is a program that you guys are hoping to help other organizations kind of grow in other cities and in other centers. We are. I mean, this is still very new. We are really working to increase awareness that this issue exists and it's a barrier for people seeking safety. Because, you know, only about 3% of domestic violence providers nationally are able to provide having places for people and pets. Now, Nat, I wanted to ask you, do you have a, a dog in your life? So if my son was here, he would be applauding that question, John, because he has been after me for quite some time. So we do not currently have a dog in our life, full disclosure. He will say to you that I've been a horrible father. But I do think, uh, hopefully, as I think about my own retirement, to have a dog because I've seen firsthand just how connected people are to their dogs. So, Nat, it was such a pleasure to speak with you and to learn more about what you guys are doing. It's just it's mind-blowing and such beautiful work. This was such a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. And you know, John, I appreciate all that you do. This is so exciting. I'm always grateful to get the word out about this very important issue. And thank you for creating the platform. And I wanted to know more about PALS specifically. So we also spoke with Danielle Emery, the director of PALS. We talked to Danielle to learn more about her own dog, what led her to her position at PALS, and share some examples of dogs that had made impacts on the survivors' lives. Hi, Danielle. So good to have you on Dog Save the People today. Did you have dogs growing up as a kid? Yes, we always had uh, family dogs. When I was born, we had a, a beagle mix named Penny. 
The dog that I had throughout most of my childhood was a lab mix named Lady. My mom is very much a cat lover, so we always had at least two or three cats. And actually, my you know my most significant pet growing up was a cat, which was surprising to me when I then became a dog person. What caused that transition? Uh, you know, really in my uh, young adulthood, living in New York City, and just you know seeing so many wonderful and amazing dogs on the street, and feeling so drawn to them, and wanting to you know talk to them. And then when I you know started dating my my partner, we were a little bit dog obsessed and would talk about every dog that passed us. And, and then we decided to adopt our own dog. And who is that dog? A pit bull, pork chop. <laughs> she is awesome. Um, what a great name. I love it. Yes, we did, I cannot take credit for the name. He came with it, but it fits him <laughs> so perfectly that we had to keep it. Pork chop is the most lazy, lazy, lazy dog. You know, we're expecting to bring this dog home and he's going to want to go for long walks and he's going to have all this energy and he's going to get us out and doing more stuff. And then he pretty much just wanted to stay in bed and sleep all day. So actually the first time I took him to the the vet, I was like, do all the blood work, make sure there's nothing wrong with him. (laughs) Like he's, you know, he's a a one-year-old dog. I, I, we just expected him to have a little bit more energy, but the vet was like, Nope, this is just him. He's, he's very low energy and very content to just hang out and be with you guys. I was working actually at New York university at a research center studying uh, interventions for domestic violence offenders. I was not connected to the animal world in any way. And it was adopting pork chop that made me want to work in animal welfare and make a whole career change. And I went to work um, at the ASPCA Adoption Center here in New York City. So I was working in the admissions department. That meant that we were hearing from people who were asking or needing to surrender their pets for all sorts of reasons. So I worked pretty closely with a department at the ASPCA called their Community Engagement Department, which is really about working with members of the community to try to prevent issues of abuse or neglect that may arise. So that's it's really giving people the resources that they need to be able to, you know, care for their pets as best as they can. And so then when I, I learned about PALS, I was like, whoa, this is the exact combination of my professional and personal interests and experience. Uh, domestic violence and animals and keeping people together. And that's how I got there. Well, it sounds like your position and experience led you to be the perfect person to take on the role at PALS and everything that just aligned in such a wonderful way. I'm so glad that it worked out for you. How did the program end up evolving over the years? PALS was founded in 2013 and we started very small at URI. We wanted to introduce the program in a way that would be both, you know, taking the staff and the shelter residents kind of comfort level with having introducing pets into the environment into consideration because it was a new thing. So we started uh, at only one shelter. And at first we actually only um, accepted cats because we thought that was a way to kind of limit or contain within the units that people were in. Very quickly, within nine months after that was a huge success, we opened it up to dogs uh, and added a second shelter location. And since that time, we have now expanded to seven of URI's 12 domestic violence shelter locations. So what have you noticed about the importance of dogs to the survivors in these shelters during this tough time? It's so powerful to see just the emotional difference that it makes in people's lives. So, you know, we know the human-animal bond has, you know, creates positive 
impacts for people, both physical, mental health, emotionally. But we have, you know, people who may be experiencing depression, like most of our survivors have experienced pretty significant trauma. So they're coming into shelter. They are on this healing journey uh, and having their pets there with them is really just a, a huge source of comfort. We have many, many children in our shelters and in our program. And so especially seeing that relationship between the pets and the dogs and children and knowing that we were able to preserve that relationship so they didn't also have to deal with, you know, the loss of a family member. And for those people who don't have children uh, who have pets, you can imagine that parting from their pet as a result of violence or leaving their pet behind would be even more traumatic and painful. So really the pet just stays with the family. The family provides all of the care, daily care, the walks, the play. We provide all of the, you know, food, enrichment, toys, behavior support, veterinary support if they need that. But really just the pet is there as part of the family. Could you please share some specific examples of stories that you've seen? So how our program works sometimes and how people get into PALS is, you know, we don't always have the exact size or safe unit for a family. So sometimes we have uh, families that may need to come into shelter without their pets for a brief amount of time so that we can kind of figure out how to get them moved into a different building or to a different apartment or one that can accommodate them and their pets. And so we have, you know, many stories of people who've been had to go through this temporary separation in order to seek safety, to stay safe, both themselves with their children um, and their animals. Uh, And one story that is just so heart wrenching um, is a, a new mom. So was experiencing abuse, the idea of her being on her own, caring for a young baby and her dog being that source of comfort. And, you know, in the middle of the night when there's nobody else there, you know, your dogs are there for you to provide that safety and security. But it took us a little bit to be able to get the dog reunited with her. And she kept just saying to us, I just want to hug him at night. And since we were able to get that dog into shelter with her, it has just been remarkable to see the change in, you know, her demeanor, her mood, kind of her ability to, to go out there and tackle what's next and to figure out next steps for herself and her family. You know, we have families that come in with all different types of experiences and abuse manifests in different ways and in all different relationships. And we see the way that the abuse can sometimes impact animals. And so, you know, we had this family that came in with this like little poodle the owner had not been able to get him groomed or had to have him have medical care um, because that was something that was a part of her relationship was real financial control. Uh, So she was very limited about what she could spend money on. Um, And then also she wasn't uh, able to take him for frequent walks or to do that exercise with him. So, you know, lo and behold, he was looking a little fluffy, like maybe hadn't had a haircut, but maybe it was also there was a little extra weight that he had under there they come into shelter. We arrange for a groom and we find out there's actually like a pretty trim guy under there. Um, and then just have this really constant image of the two of them, you know, downstairs, ready to head out the door to go for these, these long walks. Um, and that was a part of their healing process. And, you know, both the, the human and animal recovery in that case was having that that opportunity to bond and to get fresh air and to have that freedom to do that together. 
And what are some of the most common things you hear from people about why they love having their dogs with them? Having their pets there to provide routine, having that, you know, that other living creature that you're responsible for that gives you that motivation, you know, to get up in the morning and to take them out and to have that routine and to know that they're there when when you come back to the shelter at night. I think that's a that's a huge thing that we hear from a lot of people. Um, just knowing that that dog that loves them so much, that's always so happy when they come through the door, you know, that they're going to be there to welcome them home. You can see that the smile that it brings to other residents in the building and children, especially who, you know, they see a dog on the first floor and oh, a dog and the impact on staff as well. So, it, you know, it can be a pretty stressful job uh, in a pretty intense environment. Uh, and so having animals around also does bring that that comfort and that joy. That's so great. And I know it would be a huge relief to me if I was there too. Now, Danielle, if there's anyone listening here who is in a domestic violence situation or knows someone who is, what advice would you give to them for next steps? Yeah. So there's the, the national domestic violence hotline uh, is a good resource for anyone across the country to call if they need to you know, speak with an advocate or even text or chat with someone about the situation that they're in. Uh, and that hotline can connect callers to resources in their local area. Uh, so that really can make those you know, closer connections. As far as for people with pets, you know, we, we talk about a few safety planning tips. Try to think of a backup or emergency plan or someone who may be able to care for your dog or cat or other pet, you know, even for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. you know, something that domestic violence survivors are often encouraged to have a go bag packed in case they get into a very dangerous situation and need to leave quickly. And so including your pet supplies as part of that go bag. So if there's any special food or medication or things that you know that your pet requires, making sure that you have that with you. And then animal ownership documentations. It's a very complicated thing that we get asked a lot, but anything that people can have that shows that they are the owner of their dogs. So, you know, any sort of vet records or even proof that like you buy the food or pay for their care or do something, just something to to demonstrate ownership. So those are the the kind of specific pet tips that we, we give. Oh, that's so great. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this very, very important information. And we look forward to hearing more about PALS, URI, and the trajectory of the organization because it's so vital. And I just love that the animals are also now being considered because, as we all agree, they are family. So, Danielle, where can we find more information about PALS and also about URI? Are there uh, particular websites we should check out? Yep. Our website is uh, www.urinyc.org. The PALS program should be uh, pretty easy to find on there. It just is adding a a backslash PALS. And then also on all of the typical social media, we are URINYC. I cannot thank you enough for the work that you're doing. And uh, I'm really excited to be sharing this with our listeners. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to speak to the people at PALS and to learn more about the PALS program. This podcast is really about how dogs save us, dog saving people. And the PALS program is the embodiment of that idea. 
dogs and pets in general are part of our family. And to be able to have a place to go, especially in an emergency, in a terrible situation, and know that you are safe and that you can bring all of your family is such an amazing thing to have created. And I hope that in time, this will be a program that will be available throughout our country. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you. Thank you.